everybody welcome to the first timers podcast show where we offer insight tips and advice for first time or long time home buyers sellers and investors i'm your host mikey t personal home consultant real estate agent homeowner and investor please subscribe to our podcast on itunes or google play and follow us on ig and facebook at first timers podcast show so today we are going to learn a little bit about this guy's home buying experience um, the good and the bad. And I got Mike Glacar, right? Not Nailed Glacier. Nailed it. <laughs> he is the founder of True Connect, a tool that is used for connecting sales professionals to uh, their customers and helping them build relationships with their clients. And uh, I see that you were doing a little bit of, a, I guess, a motivation for uh, entrepreneurs before this also, right? I was, yeah, trying to help uh, entrepreneurs and would-be entrepreneurs follow their passions and do what they love to do. That's awesome. All right, so you could go online right now, uh, Instagram at true.connect, and go to trueconnect.io to learn a little bit more about this um, new, crazy new software. I think we're going to have to touch on it because I think it's great, and, and I don't even know what it's about yet, but I love it, so... Before we get into your uh, experience in buying a house, um, I want to learn, you know, about you a little bit. What were you doing before True Connect, and uh, what brought you to creating True Connect, and where you're at now? Yeah, so it actually, uh, I'm from Canada originally. I came to the states uh, to play hockey at Quinnipiac University up in Connecticut. Does everybody play hockey in Canada? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like a religion. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's like Christ and hockey. I, I don't know. It might be the other way. <laughs> that's it. No, my son's actually two years old now, and everyone from back home is like, "Why isn't he skating yet?" Yeah, where's where's the pictures at? This is the, they're disappointed in you. <laughs> exactly. I let them down. Um, so yeah, I came to to the states in 2008 to play hockey uh, in university, um, and then I played a year of, of pro. After that, ended up getting a concussion, ended my career early, and didn't know what the hell I wanted to do, and found a role in sales. So, you know, found out pretty quickly that sales was not about being the smartest person. No, <laughs> I, <laughs> As I most see of that. Salespeople know, <laughs> but it, it generally was about having the strongest relationships with clients. And so, yeah. I spent a few years in advertising sales in the in the pharmaceutical space. Then I went to Fast Company Magazine in Manhattan, um, which is probably where I got my, my passion for entrepreneurship there. And uh, same thing there. It was all about the relationship game. And yet technology was kind of taking the human connection out of sales uh, by replacing it with automation. And we're trying to bring it back in. So if I'm a salesperson, I'm selling to you. Maybe I'm selling to Mike Timpani, but I'm actually selling to a dad that you know goes camping with his kids, that has these passions, that's into this, whatever it might be, that vacations in Orlando, whatever, whatever those personal things are. So basically what our platform allows you to do is input that personal information about a client and then track relevant content, social media, anything that can add value to that client in the future and help to build that human connection. That is awesome. Now, what, what made you think of this? Like, you know, when I was at Fast Company, I interviewed a lot of salespeople and said, what, what's the number one key to your success? And they said, relationships. And I said, what is the number one missing factor of your current technology? They said, relationships. It doesn't help me, you know, with my relationships. It yeah. tra- tracks my meetings and things like that. So he said, okay, there's an overlap there, a bit of a gap. Um, and so we took all of, we, we interviewed over 100 salespeople, took all of their advice and just built it into a platform that they wanted. Wow. That's, that's a big jump for, I mean, so you went from corporate world over there 
and, and you you dived into this or I took the leap yeah I took the leap about a year ago we've been doing mostly R&D for the past year we're getting ready to launch here at the end of the month um, but yeah I took the leap with uh, I think my son was seven months at the time <laughs> you know took the leap but I think it was one of those things I felt so passionate about um, I really believe in human connection I just I love that in all aspects and I saw it missing in sales and and as you know in real estate's the same game I mean you want to build that strong relationship with your client and that's that's how you build clients for life you get referrals all that sort of stuff but it's also just the right thing to do so felt pretty passionate about it uh, I got my my wife on board <laughs> <laughs> that was probably your hardest Sale, yeah, that, right? was, that was that was you couldn't put her on a drip, drip campaign <laughs> <laughs> as much as I may have wanted to yeah so uh took the leap about a year ago now how was that conversation I know for a lot of entrepreneurs um they have their own vision and now they gotta put that vision in someone else especially their your significant other and and say hey listen <laughs> I'm gonna go do this yeah, it's a tough one, but I think um, there was no being on the fence about it. You know, I was 100% in, super passionate about it, excited about it. I'd got validation from the market. I'd put a little bit of money into build mock-ups and get that validation from salespeople out there. So it wasn't like, hey, honey, I had this idea at work. I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. It was, <laughs> you know, I had, I've had this idea for maybe, you know, a year at this point, and I started to really develop it. So we had a plan when, we, when I made the leap. But, yeah, definitely a scary moment. Wow. Now, how- so you've been in R&D for, you said, over a year now? About a year now, yeah. And you're going to launch the product, uh, I guess, like a soft launch soon? Yeah, so our pilots launch in a couple of weeks uh, with our corporate pilots, and then we're building up our waiting list at this point for individual users, which basically would be someone signing with their email and us enriching all their contacts and helping them with those relationships. And then we'll be rolling that out near the end of the year and into 2019. Man, I can't wait. That is I, Just the idea of what the product is, uh, for a salesperson, for any salesperson, uh, and we have lawyers, mortgage people, title people, everyone's listening, and even people buying and selling. I'm sh- uh, most business is sales related at, at some point. Um, to be able to build a relationship with uh, with a little, I'm not going to say less effort, but having something to help you there, I think that's a. I can't. I, I, for me, it, it's it would be great. Because uh, I do it on an organic level. I If I see something on Facebook or I see an article and it just triggers my memory of someone, I'll send it. But a lot of times you're going through, you're not, it's not triggering fast enough. <laughs> you know, There's enough other things going on in that noodle that I, I wish I had. I was able to make those connections again because even making that connection on that level and it's not about your business, um, I think it's great because – you're able to connect in another way and then it, it all comes back to what you do because, you know, the person, I think they end up going, you know, you, you start a conversation and then it comes back to, hey, so how's work been? And then there you go. Now you're back in the conversation. Exactly. Well, I mean, just from getting to know you, you embody a lot of what we talk about, which is adding value to your clients, always focus on how can I help them, not what's in it for me, you know, building those lifelong relationships. And that's why you get referrals. And that's why, you know, clients use you over and over again. So for us, we feel that's the best experience for, for the client or the customer at the end of the day. And then, like you said, it comes back around with, with revenue or income or whatever it might be from your end too. But it's just, it's a more enjoyable experience working with a client that you have a relationship with versus this, this transactional thing that you're only reaching out to them to say, hey, I have this new product or I have this new home you're trying to sell them, whatever it might be. Yeah, I personally, I hate uh, blasted emails that have my name on there. Um, Anybody that's listening, if you're a friend, I have you still in my, (laughs) I I haven't unsubscribed you yet. Uh, But most of the, most 
newsletters and all that other BS, I, I pretty much unsubscribe immediately. Um, your, your email box gets so bogged down with all the other stuff from Bed Bath & Beyond and you know this place and Home Depot and Harbor Freight for me. I don't know. And I, I haven't unsubscribed to Harbor Freight yet. <laughs> I like those coupons. But um, but from everyone else, that generic, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I get them from a lot of mortgage people. And it's the same kind of generic stuff. And I, I understand it's educating some people. But I think people see through that and they go, okay, it's another email from Joe, the mortgage guy. And like eventually they get tired of it and it goes right to unsubscribe and having a a platform that could help bring relevant content, man. I I can't wait to be a part of that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to having you on there. And I think you bring up a good point too. And, you know, most of us, if we've bought a home before, have been put on these drip campaigns, right? And all of a sudden, you're getting these updates, but they're not relevant to you. You know, I just bought a home. Why am I seeing homes in my area? It's like, it's been a week since we closed. <laughs> it's amazing. You know? That's the playbook of a lot of real estate companies. It's, all right, even though you bought, let me just keep showing you this stuff. So maybe you start thinking, uh, maybe I might sell sooner than later. Right. The home values are going up. Maybe I, this is almost like a flip for me or whatever. And- I don't know. Like, I, I hate that. I hate that. Uh, did you hear that noise? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, th- this room is live. But uh, I, I I see it with, like I said, my mortgage people, title people, all these people. And, and it's so not personalized to what I'm going through now. And I, I think that you have two different types of salespeople. You have those that want that automation because they don't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think there's there's a lot of people like me that – want more of a connection, but you don't know how to make those connections at times. And having a tool I mean, like, like what you're creating is, is, is awesome. So I'm excited. I think uh, now my clients and everyone I know, they're going to be like, man, Mike's emailing me more now. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> but again, you know, we consider ourselves, we're not an automation platform. We don't want to be. We do not send uh, emails automatically. You know, we recommend, hey, this, you know, your client's into whatever it might be, or your, your client has a home in Orlando. Look at this story just came out there. Maybe that's something that's relevant. You may want to send them, right? And this is all stuff that you've added in because you know your clients, you've met with them. And I think real estate's unique here because, like, during our path, and we'll get into this of buying a home, we were with our agent, you know, on weekends and nights for like four months. Yeah. The amount of information that he knew about me and the connection, the relationship we had was in, in, immense, right? And so using that information and keeping up with stuff that was important to me is something that adds value back to me as a client. And I think, you know, another thing, we're, we're putting on um, National Unsubscribe Day on January 11th. And so our big push for that, and we're, we're working with a few different partners now, is to say, if there's an email that doesn't add value to you as a, as a consumer, unsubscribe from it. Like, it's cluttering your life. It's, there's this whole mental health component to it, yeah. just the overstimulation. And so our hope with that, too, too, is to say, you know, it, we want to motivate people to unsubscribe from emails and hopefully change the narrative from the marketer's side to say it's not appropriate anymore to blast out 50,000 emails a day and see what see what sticks, you know. And consumers, like you said, they're starting to see through it. And now there's actually a negative side. They're like, oh, Mike, Mike emails me every day and it's all BS. It doesn't help me. So yeah. now, like, anytime they see your name, delete that email, even if it's actually something that's going to be important to them. You're, so. you're right. And uh, the mental health, health part, I think... I'm one of those people. I see notifications. It drives me crazy. <laughs> like I want to clear them out, and to have less notifications and relevant emails there that maybe I should look at. Uh, that would benefit me as a customer, as someone that, that you know 
as a, as the the recipient. Um, I think many of us wake up in the morning, you, you go to your inbox and you see 30, 40 emails and you're like, what the hell? And a lot of times they're the same company every day. Uh, on the real estate end, I get a lot of like open house emails, uh, broker opens, all this stuff. But I could tell certain ones I'm a part of the the campaign and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to see it. You know, it, I have a way to look for it if I need it. That's what I would rather do. Um, but it really has, I guess, I guess, uh, like taken down, um, how important people uh, look at emails. Now e- email has become junk mail to a large extent. And like for me, then it, I know that. So I, I look to connect in other ways, mm-hmm. like, message people on Facebook or, uh, you know, comment on their stuff because I know that email has kind of died and I'm a part of Remax Realty. They have a CRM program. I won't even put anyone's name into it because I hate it. And I go, if I hate it, I, I just, I can't stand behind it. And I see the campaigns and it's the same BS, you know, for fall, check this stuff out. You know, these are the things you should do for your house. And I get it's cool information. It's normally like whatever, like, come on, if you own a home, you're probably not looking at my email and going, Oh man, I'm glad Mike sent me this and said, I should rake my leaves. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Like, uh, you know, in the springtime, they, they, you send a picture of a cow and it says, uh, do you think you're going to be moving soon? You know, like, like, but this is, this is what goes out there. I know. And so I, for me, I, as an agent, I, I can't, I can't put this stuff out there and I try harder than to connect with people on a different level. And I think uh, that's helped me build my business. It's helped me build credibility with people, let them know that I'm not just there for now and then I'm gone. Um, I'm proud when people reach out to me after the sale and they go, hey, Mike, I have a problem with my house. Do you know someone that could help fix it? Like, I'm glad to be their guy for life now, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, but for me, my clients aren't just transactional. I, they're... they're they become like family. There's there's someone that uh, I'm glad is a part of my life and have been a part of my life. And like you said, you were on a home search. You were with your agent four months, weekends, days, nights. It's a super stressful situation. Uh, and then after close, a lot of it's like I'm gone, you know. And uh, I think it's important to have that relationship built in where they they don't think of you just as a real estate agent, but as their friend, because. Uh, for a lot of my my clients in real estate, I become the therapist, the dad, the advisor. The, I mean, it's it, you play a lot of roles. Um, at least I do. The agent I had that when I bought the, my house, he didn't play that many roles. He's, he was kind of just cut and dry. He stayed in his lane, but he really didn't veer off his lane. But I, I know I play a lot of those roles. There's a lot of uh, you know nervousness on the buyer's end. Everything. To me, it might not seem like a big deal, but I know to them it's a huge deal. And so you had a buying experience, right? I did. And yes, uh, yeah. was it a was it a good one? Uh, not particularly. And uh, you know, we won't name any names, but I can can walk you through it because I think it's I think it's an important lesson, probably from an agent standpoint. Um, although I'm sure you've heard many stories like this in the past, but also from a buyer standpoint, yeah, absolutely. You know. That's I think for me, this podcast and having people like you on is so that buyers hear these stories and um, you know I preach so much about interviewing your agents really trying to do a little background do a little homework figure out who you might work with uh, so that 
you have less of a bad experience. I mean, you probably can still have a bad experience, but I think hearing other experiences is important for buyers. And, and I hope that other agents that are listening, they go like, Oh, maybe I'm, I'm doing this and I shouldn't. So, so how long ago was it that you bought your home? So we bought our home in May of 2015. Okay. My wife and I, yeah. So, so to walk you through a little bit of the process. So we were living in an apartment at the time, um, you know, we were getting, we were engaged at that point. We were getting married the next year and figured we'll, we'll start looking for homes. We're kind of tired of burning money on the apartment rent every month. Um, and so we started looking at homes and it was one of those things. And I think a lot of young home buyers go into this is we didn't really know what our budget was, right? You go to the bank and you get approved for a loan and is that your number? I don't know. You know, what I mean? is <laughs> yeah. that your real number? And I think for me, I was in sales at the time, as I mentioned. And so you have, um, you have a lot of commissions. So it's a little bit of a, a peaks and valleys as far as what your income is. So you can get approved for something because you had a great year and the next year yeah. not right. And, and real estate's the same way. So we, we started looking at townhomes, um, here in New Jersey and we found an agent that was a recommendation from a friend. And that was probably our first lesson. It was a recommendation like, hey, we use this guy. Don't really have an opinion on him, but you may want to give him a call. <laughs> so the, you know what I mean? So it wasn't yeah. like this raving review. Um, and so we started using this agent started looking at townhomes. Wasn't overly enthusiastic because it wasn't a, a very expensive you know, purchase. Started kind of saying, well, why don't we look at more expensive neighborhoods? Why don't we push it a little bit, push it a little bit further? So all of a sudden, we're looking at neighborhoods that were twice as much in terms of the, the home value as our initial targets in, in, in the um, in the townhomes. And so, but again, you kind of look at this, the, the agent kind of says, well, it's only, you know, an extra thousand dollars a month or an extra here, you know, yeah, you he's not out. paying for it. <laughs> he's not paying for it. So, but, but this is, I think the biggest change obviously is the technology, right? So we were on Zillow every single night, which I think a lot of buyers are doing. We use Zillow. I know there's a few different programs. So my wife is on there constantly looking at all these neighborhoods and basically sending it to our agent. Hey, we like these homes. Let's go see it. And that was kind of, we didn't get a lot from the other side of the agent saying, hey, here's some homes we think you would like. In fact, all the homes that he offered were like either way out of our price range or not in the areas that we talked about. So it was just, I, can't, I think, trying to get it like a, a quick buck, you know. So finally, we ended up finding a home. We walked into it, loved it, fell in love right away. Um started going through the negotiations, put down an offer. I guess there was a little bit of a competitive bid, whether there was or not, or, or wasn't, I don't know. <laughs> you can tell me if that's part of the real estate game. Yeah. <laughs> we were told there was. <laughs> yeah. I think in 2015, there probably was. I mean, uh, but when you don't trust your agent, you don't trust how much of, like what, what, if that's in your head, that it's sad. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be able to trust your, your agent, your salesperson to say, they're really fighting for me. He's giving me the or he or she's giving me the honest truth. And uh but I mean I tend to believe that in two thousand fifteen it's it's been a competitive market. Right. So so if that was the case, and that's we assume yeah. it was. So we ended up moving pretty quickly, put the deal down, negotiated and and ended up getting the house. Um, before we got that though, we were a little bit off, like in, I think maybe 5,000 off in terms of where we said our absolute max was. We pushed that a little bit further. Cause again, our agent's like, Hey, this is a really great house. Pushed it by another 10,000, maybe <laughs> I think we were 5,000 off and, uh, 5,000 plus 10,000 plus 5,000. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so this was really the, the thing that always stuck in my mind. So I have a call with our, our agent. He says, listen, you guys need to come up another 5,000. I'm like, we've hit our limit a couple times now. We're not, we're not coming up. And he says to me, um, Mike, you've been looking for four months. Your wife loves this house. Are you really going to let her down by not coming up another $5,000? <laughs> I was like, whoa. That's some, <laughs> some, that's some uh, straight up 
sales book, yeah. like guilt trip, oh, was, closing, master closer type stuff. Oh, it was brutal. So I said, <laughs> uh, he, I said, yeah, you know, we're not coming up. We can't come up anymore. And he said, all right, well, you know, if, if not, well, I guess we'll have to start looking again and it could be another six months and your wife's going to be, you know, angry at you and all this stuff. <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, like, and I'm, I'm not very uh, very confrontational, but I said to him, listen, as an agent, you kind of had two jobs, find the home and help us close it. You didn't find the home. We found the home. And now you can't help us close it. <laughs> <laughs> the only so way he's we, helping, he's saying raise the out, money. Yeah, so if we go back out looking at homes, it's not going to be with you. And he goes, oh, are you threatening me? It was this whole thing back oh and forth. God. I'm like, why, why is this so contentious? Like you should be looking at, at me as a client and saying, we want to help you. We want to make sure it's a fit. So he ended up uh, getting them down a little bit further. And then um, I think he ended up taking like $500 or something out of his commission check, him and the other agent to like close the gap. It yeah. was something like that. It was something small. Which we appreciated, um, but that was it. That was like relationship over from his end. So we closed the home. Um, I don't even think he showed up for closing. Wow. Um, we closed the home, and uh, you know, generally we don't really care about gifts, but generally the agent will come back after congratulate, give yeah. something. We get a knock on the door. Um, we walk to the door. He's already walking away, and there's like this like dead dandelion flower, you know, <laughs> that he got from the neighbor's house <laughs> <laughs> on our doorstep. And he's like, "Oh, I didn't think you're home. You know, congrats, guys." And yeah, I was, didn't I notice the U-Haul and the four cars <laughs> in the driveway. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, to me that was like, okay, we were, I was 25 at the time, and um, you know, if I look at the number of friends and family that we've had since that have said, hey, we're looking for a home, do you know anyone? Or people that are selling homes, or we may be looking in the future at, at selling our home or buying an additional home. A, a client at 25, the lifetime value of that client is insane. Oh, do, yes. You know, do the math on Absolutely. It. And that was just burnt completely. And I've never heard from him since. And again, you know, when we go to buy our next home or we have friends that ask us, do you know anybody? We're like, no. Yeah. yeah. Now I know you. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, now you got a guy. <laughs> exactly. But that was, I think, just a huge missed opportunity for him. Now, do you think that uh, for, for young buyers, I think there's a lot of not knowing out there, um, and I think I, I see it because the, the education I don't think is really out there on you know uh, really interviewing multiple agents and doing your homework beforehand. I think you're. Your story is typical to a lot of buyers. Uh, I've had buyers that I've worked with younger, and then they'll use the listing agent on a house that they saw on a Sunday, and they'll go, oh, well, we, we put an offer. Like, they don't even understand the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what that has done for me is helped, like, okay, now I know I have to have this conversation for real. Like, for me, I think it's understood, but maybe it's not understood to certain people. Um, do you think that if you would have maybe taken a little time to – maybe go around to some open houses, interview some different agents. Maybe you've, you would have had a different experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think again, um, understanding that there's a lot more to it. Like for, for us, we felt it was, it was pretty uniform across the board. We're going to find a home. They'll help us close it, whatever. It doesn't really matter about the agent. It does matter about the agent. Yeah. And you get a great agent who's first of all going to show you homes that you may have not seen otherwise, or, or make sure you're getting educated. The other thing, and you and I talked about this is, what about the secondary parts of the home? So during the home buying experience, we had a lot of comments like, oh, yeah, no, the kitchen's really small, but just just blow this wall out and make this whole thing, and then we'll take the bathroom. And, and we're, I'm just adding it up in my mind yeah. saying, we, we told you our budget. We've now doubled it, basically. And now you're talking about putting a $100,000 kitchen. Yeah, now he's trying to get his cousin in there to do the reno. <laughs> so having someone that you feel 
uh, you trust, um, and also they feel has your best interest in mind. Like again, for someone who's consultative as a as an agent, they know what the budget is, and they're not going to recommend something that they know is going to absolutely put you underwater uh, right from the get go. Yeah, I, I feel that there's. It seems that there's two d- type of agents out there. There's those that um, that listen to you. And they'll try to help you find the home that you're looking for. And then there's those that just want you as a part of what you know the close sales that, that year. Um, I think for anyone looking, like if if someone was to hear this and they hear your story, if you were to inter- not only interview, but even if you started a search with an agent, if you see them already sending stuff that's not relevant to where you're looking, the amount of money you're approved for, I think that's a big sign of all right, maybe I have to reconsider who I'm working with and go elsewhere. Um, it's, it's a, during the process for me, it's a lot of learning my client, every home we go into, every offer we put in every, uh, you know, backed out offer, whatever it is, I get to learn a little bit more. I get, I get a little deeper into what their motivation is and where they're going with it. Um, and then you end up finding out like, you know, I, I had this conversation with someone the other day, she was looking at a home that I know was not hers um, for her. And I just said to her, I go, listen, you already, you didn't like these homes that were similar to this. Why are you, let's not even go there. We already know that that's not your fit. Let's just keep moving. Let's use our time, you know, better spent. Uh, but that, that happens when you actually spend time and pay attention to your clients. She came from another agent that did the opposite. She just uh, ran with her top approval number. And just kept sending her stuff, you know, up there. And instead of listening to her saying, I want to be about a hundred grand less than that. She didn't, she just, she was doing whatever she wanted to do. Um, so for anybody new getting into the process, you, you have to kind of start early, kind of touch the waters and see, you know, if, if the agent's doing the right job for you. And, and it's tough. I know it like, it's so tough because, there's so much on the line. There's so much stress there. And then when you have someone like kind of put a little pressure on you, like, I mean, he put to me, it seems like he put a lot of pressure on you. I, I think that that just makes the whole experience like that much worse. Of course. Yeah. And it was, it was so much to the point. I, and I obviously mentioned to my wife and she like texts him right away. I don't care about this house. I'll walk away. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not, I'm not emotionally attached to any of it. Um, but yeah, so that was obviously a little bit of an extreme situation, but even I think buying, you have to, you have to paint a little bit of a picture and, uh, you know, obviously I love sales, so I understand there's different sales tactics you want to use and everything like that. But, you know, someone telling you what their budget was and maybe the location doesn't paint the picture, you know, maybe it's an older couple or something like that. And you're showing them all these, you know, um, you know, two level homes and there's a disability or there's a concern about this or whatever it might be. Or for us, it was all about family. We want to grow a family in this house. So what do we actually need? You know, what are the requirements yeah. of that? Paint the picture for me. What's it like to have a family in this house and a kid over there and a new baby here? And what's that going to be like having, you know, uh, the stairs involved and all that kind of stuff, right? We, we were talking about family and we were seeing homes that had one bedroom on one side and all the way across this ranch, you know, you have all mm-hmm. the other bedrooms. Over. I'm like, that's not going to fit for us. And you should know that by, by us helping you to paint the picture of ex- exactly what we want and how we envision our lives here. Absolutely. And, and I come into a lot of homes like that and with, with new buyers that are going to build a family. And a, and a lot of times it's because maybe they renovated a, a, a garage into a master bedroom 
and that's on that side of the house and the rest of everything's on the other side. And I tell them, I go, if you're going to have kids, I have kids. You don't want to be that far away. Right. Like that's way too far away. It's not going to be, uh, uh, it's not going to work for you while they're a baby, while they're getting a little older, you can't hear them. It all comes from experience, but even uh, some of it's common sense also, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, it, it's about wanting more than just the deal. And I think that there's a lot of people in sales, not just agents, but, uh, not real estate agents. There's mortgage people. There's people in sales that if, I mean, you were in sales, so you know, if you, if you learn a lot about sales, you could either take that avenue of building relationships or becoming the master closer, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And some of his wording that it sounds like he was using was kind of being that master closer. Like, let me, let me hit you in the motion, the emotion aspect of your body. So then you go like, oh man, I can't disappoint my wife. Like, you know, well, you deserve this house, don't you? They, of course I deserve it. You know, they, they bring it to a different level that it, it, you should, I, I don't know. Like, I think if you sell someone on a TV, like, all right, they spent a thousand bucks. Like, it's no big deal. Um, but I think in a purchase like a house, I think you really need to let the buyer kind of really love it, feel it, and and know that that's their home. And like once you fall in love with it, you're gonna naturally say, "Well, all right, if I got to go up five thousand, like, it, it, like the money isn't even there. Like, right. it's so minuscule at that point." But when you feel that that outside source is kind of selling you, I think that that's what you guys are feeling, and uh, and it makes you not feel right. Well, especially in two thousand, you know, two thousand eighteen now, but it'll it'll continue in the future. Is that buyers have so much. Um, information at their fingertips, right? So it used to be in that case, you could say, well, Mike, you really want to go out to the market. There's really not any homes out there. I already had five homes as backups. That <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, we'll go see these next week, right? So um, I think it's it's reduced salespeople's ability to be pushy that way. And also, you know, as consumers, we, we have more and more control. So we don't want to feel like we're being pushed into anything, right? I, I Even in sales, when I was, you know, managing sales teams, I, I took the word push out of it. I wouldn't even let them say the word push. It was pull. Like the, it's pulled in, in the sense of, hey, if he thinks it's really right for us and he wants to pull us in to make sure we're seeing it the way he's seeing it and it's, and it's good for everybody, that's great. But he's pushing us into something that he doesn't care about. It doesn't affect him except for the commission check. And I also, you think about the lifetime value, which I talked about before, you know, for him, whatever he made in commission, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars, whatever it was, like just multiply that out by what our lifetime value could have been, and yep. I think he would have treated that situation very differently to say this isn't a fifteen thousand dollar opportunity, this is a hundred thousand dollar opportunity with the referrals and everything that could come with with this client. Yeah, it's it's sad that uh, that agents, some agents don't do that. I, I mean, there are great agents out there, but. What, now, do you know, was this guy in the business for a long time? He was, yeah. He was. And yeah, he was. It, it's funny because I, I, tr- I sometimes I equate it. Uh, I know as a contractor, as a mason, I would have masons that were doing masonry work for years. And sometimes they did the sloppiest work because they felt that their experience kind of preceded them. Like, like, oh, no, this is fine. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been doing this for 25 years. And... Uh, and I mean, one of them, it's funny, uh, I don't tell this story too often, but after my mom passed, my father ended up coming to work with me and my brother. And we're third generation in the masonry field. And he, we were doing some big project at, uh, I think, McGuire Air Force Base. And he, he was doing some sloppy work. Now, was it, you know, my mom's passing, whatever was on his head, but his situation isn't unique. So at the end of the day, I ripped down all his work. And the next day, he lost it. But... 
I said to him, I, I don't care about how, you know, what you think is good, you know, just because your experience says that that's fine. I know it's not fine. And I've had other Masons where we were building foundations and the next morning I would take a sledgehammer to the walls and say, redo it again. Mm -hmm. Like, um, so experience doesn't always carry the weight that we think it does. Look at Sears or Kmart right now. They've been in the business for 60 plus years and they're going out of business. Uh, Toys R Us, they went out of business. They had years of experience. They were the number one person in toys. What does that matter today? You know, where's Blockbuster? So years of experience um, doesn't uh, equate to being the right person. I think that you still have to look into, you know, what's their value today? Did they keep up with the times? Are they understanding what you're going through now? I know. So that guy, if he's done it for 20, say, plus years, he was there when the listings were coming out once a week and he had a binder and they did a lot more work then. You know, you as a as a person searching went to the Asbury Park Press and you looked at little ads and you said, I want to go look at these homes. But now I know, as well as anybody else, that my client is probably going to find the house before me. You're very invested into looking and like you said, your wife was searching constantly. I have X amount of clients. I can't spend all day finding out what new listing just popped up like it, you do when your Zillow uh, you know, search feed says, oh, this listing popped up. But I know that. So I communicate that early on. Like, hey, listen, you might find it before I do. Uh, I let people know that I'm going to send you an automated search. It's coming to you nightly. It's not coming from me. I set a parameter just so they don't think that I'm trying to flim flame them like – uh, you know, this comes out and then if I see something beforehand, I will send it organically. But knowing that today, the way things are done, I think once you set that, that kind of tone, then everybody involved kind of goes, all right, like if they're not getting emails from me every day, they know that that's not what I was telling them I was going to do. You know, it's a partnership now. You're going to get the email. You're going to get notifications before me. Maybe your search parameter shows something a little different than mine did. Um, so we work together on this and when someone with years in the business, and that's why I tell people, don't just go off of years in the business. That to me doesn't work. Uh, I had a, a lady, she was showing the house. She had to open the house for one of one of my showings. And, uh, the whole time she's telling me about her 35 plus years in the business. So we're walking through the house. She's saying how great it is. We go into the basement. I look in a closet, there's water coming through the wall right there. Um, my client is a plumber. So he looks up at the copper pipes. All the copper pipes were green, like the Statue of Liberty. We walk upstairs, there's buckling underneath the, the carpet. So there's all these things going on, on. So they walk out. I talk to her and I go, are you aware of these issues? And she goes, no. So I, I explain it all. And she ended up calling me back to go over it again. So she could go over it with the seller. But here's the thing. She's 35 years experience. If my buyers were using her and they go, oh, she's 35 years experience. She's telling me this is a great house. You tend to want to believe that because of 35 years experience. But that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. So she would sell that house with, with that type of experience being her, her background and, and kind of the, I guess, the foundation of why you would want to buy from her. And then you would have a house with problems. And 
So you, your your agent having the years of experience, obviously, it didn't matter. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's a there's a balance there. You don't want someone who's so green they don't know the, the process. But we even look at it at our company when we're um, interviewing software engineers. You know, we'll get resumes all the time. I have 30 years experience. I don't care about that. That doesn't matter at all because the technologies we're using are five years old or, yeah. you know, max 10 years old, yeah. some, these different, you know, frameworks. And so... I, I care that there's a little bit of experience, but that 30 years doesn't necessarily matter as much as it once did, you know? And if you look at, you brought up Kmart and Sears, you look at the companies now that are actually excelling, you know, Zappos is a prime example, right? Zappos is built on customer service. That's there. They happen to sell shoes uh, and, and accessories, but they're built on customer service. Amazon, why does everyone go there? One, because of the price, but two, because they can return anything and it doesn't matter and it gets there in one day, right? Yep. So the things that mattered 30 years ago Aren't, they don't matter as much today because of technology, right? So again, 30 years ago in real estate, being able to have that listing once a week and do this, that doesn't matter. It's it's irrelevant. What value do you bring as an agent above and beyond um, you know, what I can see already? And that's for you. It's the experience of seeing what's actually in the home and giving advice on that and also helping to close a deal and knowing that process because that is still something I think that's untapped to a certain degree where as a buyer, I don't know anything about the closing process you know, and the costs yeah. that go on and the inspections and everything like that. But as a buyer now, I know a lot about finding a home because I, <laughs> I can do it on my on my phone at night. You know? Yeah, and 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 that's what brings a lot of agents into the game is they they were they dealt with that aspect of real estate and they go, man, I love searching for homes. I love looking at homes. When I went to real estate school, that was pretty much everybody but me. That was their story. My agent said I would be great at this. I was searching for homes. It was so much fun. Ba 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 ba. I go well. That's not that's not really what real estate is. That's a part of it, and I think that's the part that actually would get ti- that that gets for me gets tiring. It's fun when you're looking for your own home, when you're looking for thirty people's homes, and you're just, and you're not you're just spinning your wheels. That gets old kind of quick. So that's why I have certain processes that I ask my clients. Okay, let's let's look. You want to see five, ten homes? I look through the ten homes. I get the real story. Probably two of them are under contracts, so and now here's eight. Go take take a drive by those eight. You know, I make them involved. So then the eight becomes three. Okay, now let's go. Now I call each three and I go, are you, do you have a, an offer already? What's going on? And sometimes that three turns into two or none. But it's letting them get involved in the process. Then they see like, okay, this is what's going on. Like it's not just send a listing, open a door. And, and I understand that's how some people handle their business, but there's a lot more going on there. And if you're not getting the support on the other end, the searching for the home most of the time the buyer is going to do anyway. And you experience that. Yeah. I mean, I think one one thing that you just brought up that's really important is respecting everyone's time, right? Like you don't want to go see all these 10 homes if you know they're not the right fit for that individual and they can drive by and they can know that, you know, in a a second. So that's respecting their time as well to say, hey, listen, I can bring you to all these homes and we could spend half an hour in each. But if you take a quick drive by, it's going to save everybody time in the situation. That being said, I think you need to to lay the foundation of trust and credibility before that because otherwise it's like, oh, this this Mike guy is lazy. He won't even go. He wants us to go do the work for yeah. him. Do you know what I mean? But if you lay the foundation of explaining exactly why you do it, you, you mentioned explaining that you're going to be sending automated emails and not coming from you. They're meant to help. And I'll be sending personal emails. You set that foundation and the expectation, and then we're all clear. It's when you don't set that initially that the buyer is confused and they don't know what's going on. Especially the first time home buyer, they, you didn't know anything. So now you trust this guy that had years of experience 
And anything he does, like you want to trust it, and it, and it led you down a, a rough path. Now, did he help you, uh, like, find a, a mortgage person or your your attorney or any? Did he help you build it, uh, like, an, uh, your outside structure of a team? I, I think he made some recommendations. We didn't end up going uh, <laughs> with them. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd have to remember the the inspector and how he you know set that up. I, I don't know the process there too much, but um. You know, that's the other side of it. When you start looking at what goes into a home and then the closing costs and the inspection and this and that, it's way more than just, hey, this is a $500,000 home. That, that yes. really means nothing. You know what I mean? That and, is and that is the portion of it. Exactly. But exactly. coming up with the cash to close is the bigger right. the bigger portion. Right. So that's, I think, something that there's a huge opportunity to educate first-time buyers. And, and it's interesting. I don't know what your, your listener mix is and how much money people actually see in a first-time homeowner versus someone that's a little bit more experienced and maybe has a higher budget. So I, I'm sure there's a balance there. But a first-time homeowner, although that purchase might not be as much as someone maybe in their 40s or 50s making a larger home purchase, I just look at lifetime value. I would, I would target those individuals all day because, again, if they have a great experience, I, I don't know what the average um, number of homes someone has in their, in their life, but I'm sure it's multiple. Definitely. And, yeah, and just to say, like, let's, let's set that foundation, and now I have clients for life. For me, I... I like the first time home buyer because I have the ability to educate them and to hopefully give them an experience that when they walk away from it, they go, they don't feel like they were screwed. They don't feel like this is the wrong home. Uh, I think every first time home buyer thinks about the next home soon. Like they go, Oh, all right. Now I, now, now I'm in here. This doesn't work for us, or you know, it, and I think naturally you go from your first home, and within five years you're already looking at a second home. That second home ends up being more of your forever home, I think, because that first home gave you a lot of the bumps and bruises of learning what you liked and don't like. So, the first time home buyer for anybody in real estate, I mean, I think that's a huge like demographic to hit, but they shouldn't be just treated as a demographic to hit, you know, and that. I, I try to uh, explain to agents, and that's why I created my other company, you know, offer value, whatever you don't know, bring on people that you that do know it, let your customers know that you don't know it, you know, I think they appreciate that a lot better, um, and help educate, even if you have to bring someone else in to educate them, do that, and align yourself with people that work the same. There's mortgage people I work with that I know will educate my clients about the closing cost and all the process and how to get their credit up a little bit or whatever the case may be. But it's, it's all about aligning yourself with people that are there to educate so that I know that if I refer someone to you, that they're going to be a good fit and you're going to benefit from it. And, uh, but that it just comes down to the salesperson wanting that person to be more than just a sale, a close. And it's, it's, it's hard even if you interview people to find out about that until you're like mid process. Yeah, and I think it's tough right now too and and you and I talked about this a little bit beforehand was um, the number of agents right now coming out of the woodworks, like, hey, I, I, you know, I work a nine to five, but I'm just going to do this on the side because it looks like an easy way to make a little bit of side money. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't even believe looking at some of these companies like Keller Williams and stuff. Like, oh. The number of agents is incredible. They have Keller Williams, I think, in the in uh, East Monmouth, I think it is. I think they have over 300 agents, and I and I interviewed there, and uh, like it, it works for some agents, but 
for me, I, I wanted to make sure my broker, my listen, I'm paying a commission back to my company. My broker is my partner. So what experience I don't have, she has in her 30 plus years. And I make everybody aware of that. I don't have all the answers, but I, I'm partnered with someone that does. But when you go to a, a bigger agency that has 50, 60, 70, 100, 300 plus agents, who is there to help that agent out? Um, and, and it's because some of the business has really become like a, just a business of bringing on new agents. Mm-hmm. I know certain companies, you get like a, it's kind of like a pyramid scheme. It really is. You know, I bring on, I recruit somebody. Now I'm going to get a piece of their thing. And then they recruit three other people and, and everyone's kind of getting a piece of everyone else's. And you end up wondering like, what's then the motivation of the agent? You know, is that person now a recruiter? Do they, cause now are they selling you trying to get you on board so that maybe you're going to now be their next agent? You, you know what I mean? It, 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 there's so much there that unfortunately uh, people have to kind of, use their their brain to say like okay this doesn't make sense but i think that's where it comes down to talking to multiple people and with i mean with open houses you can meet five agents in one day right you know and if you take little notes real quick after you leave you leave them and you you kind of like all right i like this person maybe i didn't like that person um and then you could follow up with them if if they're not willing to really go out of their way to want to help you, there's there's many other people out there that I think that will. Right. Yeah, and I think one thing I've been trying to do a little bit more um, from a business standpoint too and working with any of our partners is asking them to talk to previous customers. And there's two reactions to that. The first is uh, we don't really do that. And right there I know it's like – if I'm if someone asks me to talk to some of our other customers, I'm excited. I'm like, yes, absolutely, because I know we've done the right thing or yeah. done right by those customers. It would be the same as you, right? You you build raving fans that are eager to say yes, great things about this individual. Um, then that, that's the second situation where you ask an agent, hey, do you mind if I talk to any of your previous clients? And they say, yeah, absolutely. They connect you with a couple of them, and the people you know have great things to say. That's something I wish we would have done because now telling this story, and we don't tell it too often, but every once in a while the story comes up and we bring up the individual's name, our agent's name. It's like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. That was your first mistake. And so for us to talk with some of his previous clients I think would have been huge. And so uh, as a first-time buyer or any buyer, I don't think you should be afraid to ask that question because as an agent, if you're doing your job properly, you should be eager to make those connections to your previous clients. Absolutely. And I, it is so tough for the first-time home buyer. I That is the, the group of people I feel for the most because um, I see it from my end. I saw it from when I was purchasing a house. I didn't have a great experience. I had a bad experience. Um, that's what got me into real estate was having a bad experience. Um and then in real estate, I've had bad experiences with other agents. And I go, man, like, I can't believe someone is going to buy from this person. I had a house. We were under contract. We went to a uh, uh, home inspection. The house had $35,000 plus worth of damage. It was, they basically, it was a flipped home. They put lipstick on a pig. And when I presented this to the agent, he goes, well, I think it has like 2500 bucks worth of damage. I go, What? It like it, it it boggled my mind. So I told my client, I'm like, if you want to buy this house, you got to buy it with him. You're not buying it with me. We walked away. They ended up selling that house for five thousand dollars more than we were under contract. And I go, like, who bought this house? Number one, and who was misguided because that house wasn't worth that much money. It had so much damage. And here was a guy 
that had years of experience to the point where my home inspector came there and as soon as he saw his name, he goes, oh boy, <laughs> you know, and then you're like, oh, here we go. You know what I mean? And then you dig into the house and it was just problem after problem, rot after rot. Everything was just painted over, um, holes in ductwork, blue taped over, painted all the ductwork so you wouldn't even see the holes. Just real shady stuff like that. And I get so scared for these first-time home buyers that they don't know who to use. Maybe they go with, you know, whoever because it's, you know, your your mom's friend, your dad's friend. Uh, and, and, yeah, maybe those people work. They'll work out for you. But I, I think you still need to interview them. So at least maybe you get a little bit of an idea about who who's helping you buy the biggest purchase of your life. Now, did this guy help you negotiate at all? Well, that was part of it, right? It was uh, in, instead of saying – you talked about being a partner, right? So I think about sitting on the same side of the table versus sitting across – we would expect in that case for him to be on our team. Like, let's you know, let's get as low a price as we possibly can. Let's go. I'm going to go to bat for you. Instead, it was, it was almost like he was the you know the selling. The selling <laughs> he was on the other end. Yeah, right? he's like, you guys got to come up. You got to come up. That's all we heard. You got to come. Up. If you want this house, you got to come up. I'm like, whoa, where is where's the part where you go back to them and and negotiate on our behalf? Because that's kind of what we're we're thinking where that we're paying you for. Um, and again, that was a first time experience for, for us. So we didn't really know. We're like, oh, maybe this is the, the normal thing. But we start telling that story. And people are like, no, absolutely not. They should be negotiating for you and bringing the price down. So uh, so that was our experience was less of that and more of just the pressure play. Hey, you got to get up if you want this home. Otherwise, you're going to lose it. Yeah. I tell people all the time. And I'll tell selling agents, listen, if, if this is $10,000 less of a price, that commission isn't life-changing to me. You're talking about a couple hundred bucks, like whatever. Um, but my job is at, representing the buyer is so, to sometimes educate the buyer like, hey, listen, your expectations of this price are not real. You know, I, I'm, I'm telling you what the house is worth. Sometimes the buyer wants to pay way less than it's worth. And, and I but I let them know, like, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think they're going to take it. Like I wouldn't if I was on the sell side, I wouldn't take it. Um, but I'm, I'm coming at that that angle from in a genuine way. But I think we also, at least for myself, I spend the time to pull up comps, um, come up with a, with a price. And so when I go to the other agent, I go, Hey, listen, the reason why we're offering this is ABCD. Mm. You know, this is what it is. Like, I'm not shooting numbers at you. My client's ready to close with this number, but we're coming at it because of these reasons. And that works a lot of times because a lot of times the other side, they don't know why they came up with the number they came up with. Right. I had it where, um, this lady was her offer wasn't accepted at three forty five. It was a rejected offer. She used another agent. We came back a while later. The house was still on the market. I got it accepted at three thirty because I educated the seller as to why it wasn't worth what he was asking. And it ended up he goes, okay, we're gonna go with your number. Mm-hmm. Now he wasn't happy about it, but like, okay, yeah, of course, I want $15,000 more commission, you know, to base off of, but that's not life-changing to me. Like, for me to represent my buyer or my seller and really do the right job, that's what matters most. So in your case where he, he was basically, like you said, sitting across the table instead of sitting with you saying, all right, let's come up with a game plan so we could get this closed. I mean, who knows how much money that that ended up costing you in the right. end. 
Right, and it's it's sometimes it's just the approach, right? I mean, he it could have been a situation where he was basically saying, "Hey, you need to come up because of X, Y, and Z," but it wasn't positioned that way. It was, "Hey, if you don't come up, like you're going to lose this home and you're going to lose it for your wife," and it's like that's the whole yeah. sort of thing, right? So I think it's how you approach it as well. Um, but you brought up a really interesting point too: is for you, it's a couple hundred bucks on that commission. For that, for the the buyer, ten thousand dollars might be like two years of mortgage payments, or yeah. what, depending on what their structure over this over the lifetime of the loan. That ten thousand is forty thousand. Right, it's unbelievable. So you, I, I think, again, what's in it for you? What's in it for them? And find there's generally, if there's going to be a fit, there's some overlap on the price that the of course, right? That the seller's willing to sell it, at the buyer's willing to buy it. So your job is just to make sure you find that and find a fair deal. And the market will dictate the rest. If it's totally, you know, misaligned and there's no overlap, the deal won't get done. So I don't think it needs to be a situation where it's you're pushing and pushing and pushing either side to do something they don't want to do. You know, you ultimately do something that people agree to and feel comfortable with um, that makes sense in the market. Yeah. And like you said, in real estate, it's not like uh, new car sales where you could look up the the invoice price and that's what you know this F-150 sold for. It's what the buyer and seller are willing to negotiate on and and the bank. I mean, a lot of people then rely on the bank to say, yes, that's the right value. Um, but it's the it's a meeting of the minds. So there's no exact number there. And that's what I, I, I sometimes buyers or sellers, they don't want to hear that. You know, they have a certain number in their head and I could bring them pretty much within a couple thousand. And I'm like, all right, we're there. I don't. If I say three thirty five and they're at three thirty eight, that's pretty close. I mean, you know, three thousand dollars is not much. I don't care about the three thousand myself, but I could be off by three thousand. There's no hard number. It's a commodity out there. Mm-hmm. The, you know, it's the less homes, the more money is going up. You got more homes on the market, the less it's going to cost. I mean, it's a commodity, commodity like anything else. But it's about educating and then letting them know that, like, okay, my buyers, I'm on your side. If you really don't feel comfortable with this we'll move past it. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just keep going because they're going to then anything that happens in that house, anything negative, they're going to be like effing Mike. You know, I wish I never bought this house. hundred percent. And we do that all the yeah, time. I mean, yeah, <laughs> My wife and I, we yeah, laugh like the, you know, the cabinet door falls off. And we're like, ah, oh, I should have never, not only did I buy it. Now I think I bought it for too much money. <laughs> I spent $5,000 over $10,000 plus $5,000 too much. And they like everything that's, that's what goes on in their head. And, and, um, I think that it's important to kind of like let them know like, hey, I'm, I'm here on your side. I have a problem. It's hard being a dual agent at times. So some, you know, sometimes you go into a house and now you're the dual agent. And I tell both ends like, hey, listen, I'm going to be as honest with both of you as possible. I never cross share your information. The seller has a number. The buyer has a number. If you guys agree to it, but I'm going to give you both the same advice. But I, I, I actually, I don't like that. I'd like working more one side than the other. Um, now, of course, it's nice to get two commissions at once, but it it's really sometimes hard to battle more for one end. So you, you go like, well, who do you have more allegiance to? You know, And there's some states that don't allow dual, uh, dual agency. And I get it because if I was um, – I was first the seller's agent before I was the buyer's agent. So who should I really be representing more? Um, and that's so hard. And I think that's another thing that I, I tell people, you know, if you're going to look at homes and you're seeing the buyer, the seller's agent, and now you're expecting that person to represent you, think about it just a second. Now, there's some, I, I could see how that agent having the control of the deal can help at times, but that's if that person's honest. Mm-hmm. 
I don't trust anybody. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I want my own counsel. Um, so it, it, it's so difficult when I hear people, they go, I'm just going to use the seller's agent. And I go, well, who's going to fight for you? Obviously, that person is saying the house is worth this much money because he agreed with the seller. Now you're going to say the house isn't worth it. Who does he fight for? He first he told the seller that it was worth it to get the to get the the listing. So who do, who do you fight for? Then who really got the best deal? And that's something that I think a lot of people should definitely think about. You know, when you're going around to open houses, I think go around to open houses, go meet people, but be a little wary when you have someone that's on both sides of the deal too. Because right. unless you honestly trust them, and Maybe that's when you ask them for more facts. Like, give me fact-based stuff. Give me some comps. Show me the real value. Why are you saying it's worth this much? Not just, hey, I think it's this much. It's worth this much. Right. And a lot of people, especially first-time home home buyers, are conflict-averse because they don't know enough, right? But So that was another piece of advice I would give is, you know, we, we would go see a home. We wouldn't really be sure on it, but we didn't want to offend anyone. This is the most important purchase of your life. Like th- this home right now, whether you move in five years or it doesn't really matter, this is going to set up your finances and your entire life. So be critical. You know, don't be an ass, but be critical and ask those important questions. Can I talk to you know people you've worked with? Give me the comps. Where does this number come from? Go in depth because, you know, if you're trying to be polite and and, and not offend anyone or not have any conflict, you're going to end up screwing yourself over. Like this is it. This is your life. So that's that's another thing we talk to a lot of people that are like, oh, I didn't really like the home, but. Did you tell the agent? I don't know. We just we we didn't really say it. Like, no, if you don't like the home or there's not a fit here, let them know right away. And I think from an agent's side, you should appreciate that Absolutely. that we're not wasting your time. You but know? a lot of times, it's on their face anyway. I, I don't. Be, yeah, so, I don't. Yeah. I look at them, and if they're disinterested and they're like, I, I, "All right, you don't like it. Like, <laughs> let's just go." Right. You know, or I'll walk in after you're with somebody after a couple of showings. You get a good feeling on what they want. And I'll walk into a certain room and I'll go, all right, forget it. You know, you can look around, but I know you're not, I'm not even going to go look in the attic or anything. There's no point because this is not going to be the home you're going to put an offer on. Um, but it's, it's the agent becoming aware of their client. Uh, and that, that's very important. So if there was, I guess, uh, the, the most important piece of advice you would give someone that's looking to buy a house, what would that be? Like a first time home buyer? The most important thing is when selecting an agent would be, in my opinion, to talk to some of their previous clients. You can do all the research you want, but until you actually talk to the previous clients, and just like you mentioned that you can see it on their face, when you talk to a previous client, you can hear it in their voice. Mm-hmm. You know, even if even if they're not saying negative things, but they're like, yeah, it was okay. The experience was okay. He did his job or she did her mm-hmm. job. You're like, oh, there might, you know, might be something there versus, yeah, she was awesome. She helped me so much or he helped me so much. So that was definitely something to do with your due diligence there. Uh, and then just ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to ask those questions that you think might be stupid and, and get as much information as you can. Because at the end of the day, once you sign off and you close that deal, it's on you. <laughs> it's your headache. <laughs> it's your you headache. You can't get rid of it at That's that right. point. That's right. Are you happy with the house that you we bought? We are. We love it. Yeah, yeah, we love it now. We'll probably look to to make a home purchase maybe in the next five years um, as we continue to grow our family. But it's been, it has been a great home for us and, and we love living there, but just the experience was one that, uh, you know, was interesting <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get into a little quattro fire. I want to learn a little bit more about you. Tell me what is your favorite book? 
My favorite book of all time is called The Go-Giver. It's by Bob Berg and Jonathan David Mann. I've probably given this to, I don't know, maybe 400 clients at this point. And it's all talking about basically the laws of business, but done through a fable. And I would I recommend that to anyone getting into sales or business to read that book. Really? The Go-Giver? The Go-Giver. I'm going to yeah. check that out. What's your favorite show right now? That's a good question. My wife and I uh, started watching last week A Million Little Things. It's... Uh, it's pretty good. We're kind of This Is Us fans, too. I, you know, I don't tell my buddies that, but that's one. And I think my favorite show of all time is, is The Office. I'm a big Office guy. Uh-huh. Steve Carell uh, have been for years. What's your favorite quote? A quote that, that's a good question. I, a quote that I use, and actually I, I built up an entire Instagram page based on entrepreneurship motivation, so I have a lot yeah. of kind of quotes up my sleeve. One of my favorites is, great things come to grateful people. And... Uh, trying to practice gratitude, especially if we have a young family now, I think is really important. You get so wrapped up in your business, you forget about that stuff. Man, that is so true. And uh, yeah, I, I think you have to show gratitude even when things aren't going right. There's always something going right. It's You got to see through the, the clouds sometimes. You got to dig it out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard, especially when you're in business. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, that's one thing. Gr- gratitude has been something that's probably been dragged through the mud a little bit. Everyone's talking about it, but it truly is something. When you start to be grateful for what you have, you seem seem to see more positive things come in your life, or even if it's the same amount, you're seeing them in a better light. Definitely. And what's the best piece of advice either you've received or somebody gave you? The Something that I live my life by, especially when it comes to business, is your network is your net worth. For me, that was everything. And so when building out your network and not doing it in a transactional cheesy way just to try and get people in, but how can you, who can you add value to? Like there's so many ways you can help people out, connect people. And as you build that network, it's and similar in your space. It's like, oh, I need, I need help with this. Oh, I know someone I can call. Or I have a client that needs help with this. Or I can connect these two people. That's where I really think an individual's value is in business is that whole network. So that's, that's been the advice for me. No, that is so true. Um, your network. We didn't talk about what network, what hockey team you played for. <laughs> like, how's that now? What, what team was it? Yeah. So I came out of Quinnipiac university, as I mentioned for four years, um, I went to go play in the minors, uh, in the Phoenix coyotes or Arizona coyotes organization. Wow. Yeah, it was good. It was a good experience. Do you still stay connected to those people? Yeah. I mean, the hockey world is like a family, right? Especially yeah. you play, play on a sport, uh, playing in a team, in, in the locker room with those guys. So still very connected in the sports world. And it's something that I love too. I see a lot of players now coming out of professional sports and going into business. That is a transition, man. You come from being in a locker room to sitting in a gray cubicle and you don't know what the <laughs> hell just happened to you. Yeah, right. So talking with a lot of those athletes and, not and helping wherever I can. Grabbing the, the sweater. and, and <laughs> Like, how didn't you do that to your agent? <laughs> like, and all of a sudden, you got to be politically correct. Yeah, and you like can't you, be cursing You, you throw down the fake gloves that you don't have on, and then you're like, do you know, I'm not paying $5,000 more. And you grab his shirt, rip it over his head, and just start wailing at him. Yeah, you can't really do that, apparently. <laughs> you took some control. I don't know if I, if I could turn that off too well. I, I, I coach my kids' uh, flag football team, and there's times I get a little – I go, man, like, I got to calm down. I'm yelling louder than the parents. <laughs> like, get him, get him. <laughs> like, calm down, man. He's six. <laughs> I'm telling my son, I'm like, I don't know. I don't even want to say what I tell him. <laughs> it's hard to turn it off. Yeah, but needless to say, he gets through that line every time to the <laughs> to the quarterback. Whatever motivation he needs. And the other kids, if they don't, I, I give them a little earful too. I'm glad the other coach doesn't come close enough to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh my God. And 
I, to touch on hockey, I mean that that within itself is a huge lifetime commitment. I know people that uh, that are moving up in the hockey world or like uh, kids from my friends, and holy crap, it's a lot of work. It's not like a lot of other sports. I mean, there's a lot of ice time, a lot of uh, early mornings, a lot of coaching, a lot. I mean, it it seems. And it's like 12 months a year. It just never ends. Yeah, it's unlike a lot of sports where you can pick up and go play basketball. You have a soccer ball you can play in your backyard. I mean, really, you can do off-ice training, but most of the practice happens on a rink. So it's scheduled time. It's expensive as hell. I mean, my son's turning two in, in two weeks. We got him a <laughs> pair of skates. My parents got him the whole hockey. You know, we're going to start getting him on skates. But, you know, the price is crazy because it's always that con- controlled setting in the rink. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the early mornings, I mean, I don't know how my parents did it. But I do think um, athletes, I talk to athletes all the time that are going into business, I think there's some level of advantage just with the discipline, you know, the teamwork, the hard work, the commitment, the ability to go through adversity. You know, yeah. I remember when I first started in advertising, I had to meet with our CEO, and I'm walking back there, and everyone's like, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. He's pretty intense. I'm like, what's he going to – is he going to punch me in the face? I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know I just and if got he there. is, I'm ready. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that whole down. side of, of, you know, being ripped on by coaches and fans and all yeah. that kind of stuff, you kind of get a little bit of a thick skin. So I definitely, you know, love love seeing athletes converting into business, and, and I think there's certainly an advantage there. And But, yeah, it's definitely a commitment. I agree 100%. I, I think um, on either on the rink, on the court, on the field, you get to learn failure real quick. And no matter how good you are, you're going to fail more times than you're going to. There's more shots at the at the net than you made. There's more, you know, shots at, at the basket than Michael Jordan made. I mean, you're going to fail way more than you're going to succeed. And uh, I think that bringing up your kids in sports, I mean, I think that it's very important. It, it shows, it gives them a different uh, layer of of reality. What the world is more like sports than it's not. You know, you. Everything isn't going to be handed to you. Uh, not all settings are going to be controlled. You're going to hit a lot of disappointments and all that stuff. I mean, you dealt with it in sports. You know, my son's dealing with it now. And some days it's hard to see your kids go through it. But I think it definitely builds a level of character that that you can't replace with schooling or anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that um, I always say sports is the biggest microcosm of life. Like it really is all, all aspects, you know, some level of hierarchy on the team and the coaching reporting to someone. And so when I first got out of, out of hockey, you know, it was like, how much work experience do you have? I mean, I don't really have any work experience because that was also was like it was 12, 12 months a year I was training. So I didn't yeah. have a lot of summer jobs. I had a few here and there. But really when I thought about it, I'm like, well, I've kind of been working for a boss since I was four years old with my coach <laughs> and reporting yeah. to that and having these requirements and doing the early mornings and having – you know, the one thing about sports, you're not late. Like, you can't be late to a game. That's just not acceptable. No. And just like you get into business, you can't be late to a big meeting. So it's all these things that kind of um, uh, that I took from sports and a lot of people take from sports that definitely transition over. Man, that is awesome. And you, so your kid is – you're going to put your son into – Hockey? Yeah, I mean that's the whole other debate, right? You know, I ended my career with a concussion, so that's that whole other side. But um, we'll see how it goes. We'll get him on the skates. Man, I tell you, it's well, you know more than anybody. My son talks about hockey, and I'm like, I'm like, you sure you don't want to just stick with baseball and football? Maybe soccer. Like all that stuff is cheap. Like I could throw the ball with you in the backyard. I'm like, man, like hockey, it's it's so. uh, I mean, it's expensive for a reason. 
but it's it's definitely not cheap. No, it's, it's a, a great sport though. Definitely yeah. a great sport. I don't know if he pushes hard enough. I'm I'm a softie. I'll let him try it. I'll give him a shot at it. <laughs> so tell us where people could find you. Uh, tell us about the soft launch date. Tell us like uh, all about you know the the True Connect um, info stream that you want people to know about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we we can be found at true.connect on Instagram. We post a lot of videos about sales, sales philosophy, client relationships, things like that. Uh, trueconnect.io, so that's T-R-U-E, connect, one word, uh, .io is our website. We're actually building out our, our waiting list right now. So we're really looking for the right users as well. So it's people that really care about relationships, adding value to their clients, not someone who's looking to send out 40,000 emails a day and see what <sighs> sticks, but people that are really looking to add that value. Um, and so that can be signed up on trueconnect.io and we'll be releasing uh, those strategically to to users over the next few months. Awesome, awesome. And uh, you guys are very active on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, the whole nine yards. Yeah. So if they need to get in touch with you, they definitely, there's more than one way. Yeah, message us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, you know, sound, follow us on SoundCloud, whatever uh, avenues and we'll, we definitely respond to those. Again, our passion is not about the technology side. Our passion is about human connection and client relationships. So any questions or thoughts on that, happy to hear them. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks I for think, uh, I think there's going to be some people out there that are going, man, like I have to do my homework now, you know, and, and it only comes from hearing stories from people like you. So I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. And I would like to thank everyone for listening to the show. My name is Mikey T. Michael Anthony Timpani, as my mama named me. You could follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at First Timers Podcast Show. You could follow me on Instagram and Facebook at THS Home Advisors and at Mikey T. Sells and J. Holmes. A link to all the websites can be found on our social sites. And you could pretty much add a .com to those names and get right to the website. Please leave a review on iTunes, share and subscribe to our weekly podcast, message us with any questions or topics you may want to hear. And if you're a professional that could bring some value to our audience, please contact me together. We can learn and grow. I'd like to end with a quote myself. Uh, this, uh, this lady is a little older, Harriet Tubman, <laughs> but I like what she says. Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within your strength and pay and the patience and the passion to reach for the stars and change the world. God bless everybody and have an amazing week.